Welcome to the International Buzz Podcast, brought to you by WordBeep. Uh, I'm your uh, host today, Robert Rogi. Uh, my co-host Tanya Faulkner is uh, out, but she'll be she'll be joining us again soon. Um, before we get started, I'd just like to uh, say, hey, help us get to 10,000 listens. Um, we're getting really close now to 10,000 listens. Uh, and if you enjoy the show and you'd like to share it on social media, um, you can definitely help us get to 10,000 listens, uh, which is a, a, an exciting milestone for us uh, on the show. Uh, so on today's show, uh, we've got uh, Lana Rajkovskaya. She's the owner of Capital Translation. Um, she has a formal education in translation, interpreting, and linguistics, and over 20 years of extensive experience in the translation industry. Uh, she puts her expertise to good use when providing translation services to her clients in Europe and the United States. She specializes in legal, medical, and corporate translations, uh, and she has been the lead translator and editor at many life sciences. Um, and clinical trials accounts. Um, so you can get in touch with her if you're looking for an experienced uh, vendor to collaborate with. Uh, and today we're going to be talking about um, back translations, linguistic validation, and uh, clinical reviews. So uh, welcome to the show, Lana. Thank you so much, Robert, and thank you for having me. Hey, it's our pleasure. So life science is actually a pretty big field. Um, so to, to give our listeners a sense for what we will be discussing today, uh, what are the most typical life sciences projects that you work on? So clinical trials um, is a, obviously a big part of it. So these are the type of um, uh, documents that I normally work with, and those can include a variety of documents as investigator brochures and uh, educational materials and uh, all types of other medical pharmaceutical documents. Uh, so clinical trials typically, you know, when we talk about those type of translations, normally we hear that uh, client review processes usually involve somewhere in those. So um, we will talk uh, probably a little bit about that and what the production cycle for those looks like, um, as well as back translation, right? Yes, let's do it. So let's get started then talking about clinical trials and the, and the clinical review process. Can you, can you just give us an overview there of, uh, of what that looks like? Sure. Um, also, we probably want to start with talking about mm -hmm. how translation service providers measure quality and accuracy, right? So there are two types of approaches here. So how do we measure quality through a selection of qualified resources um, who specialize in a particular area? They have medical background, education, years of experience, proven record. We do testing. We do um, translation linguistic evaluation. Uh, we grade translations as well. And uh, we also use um, doctor, clinician, and medical writer in country reviews uh, to ensure uh, quality and accuracy. And then the important question also is how do direct clients measure quality and accuracy? What type of tools do they have in their disposal? So normally in a clinical trial setting, they try to make sure that they work with a company who's ISO certified. This way they um, have some kind of assurance uh, that certain steps uh, are followed. So then they also may use uh, linguistic validation. They may use in-country client review process. They may also use back translation or sometimes both. There's also sometimes an approach where we use, uh, they would use two forward translations and a reconciliation and then where an editor picks the best version of the two or a combination of those, and then um, a final copy is produced. Well, that's a big list. So uh, <laughs> that's, 
it's uh okay so i i guess here's a question for just related to um linguistic validation and uh back translation um so, sometimes it seems to me like maybe this is like an out of the industry thing um but it, it seems to me like sometimes people refer to like linguistic validation and back translation workflows as almost like one in the same thing but um they they're they're not right and uh so so let what what's the real difference between linguistic validation back translation and the two forward translation with the reconciliation what are they what are those things and how are they different yes so um, in order to ask uh, to answer that question let's uh, look a little bit more detail at at maybe each one right so mm-hmm. Normally, probably more frequently, we work with client, what we call a client review process, which usually happens in in country. That's where um, someone who works with the client or usually uh, someone on their side would review a translation that's been submitted. So what uh, what is the intent of the review, really? So we look at technical terminology uh, that is being used or uh, in the industry-specific or even client-specific uh, case. So we obviously, we all recruit, you know, best translators in the field, but they are usually not a part of that organization or they don't know specific terminology that's preferred for that particular client. So that's where we ensure that we're using something that the client prefers. Then uh, we can talk about the nature of all languages and such that the usage is highly subjective, right? So vocabulary and style vary vary significantly from one writer to the next. That's where the review process gives our clients uh, the opportunity to request their own preferences um, in that matter. And then the third uh, one is simply peace of mind in uh, my viewpoint. So many times... For non-linguistic reasons, the end user of the material would be happier with it if he or she had the chance to um, to prove it or review it uh, before it arrives in its final format. What I normally, uh, if we go a little bit into the review process again, what I normally tell my clients is that uh, when we select someone or they select someone uh, to be the reviewer of the material, of course, it's important that that person is a native speaker of the target language and also is an expert in the subject field. In addition, they should have an excellent command of the language without being dogmatic. What, what does that mean, really? That means that we don't want changes uh, that would be uh, go in line with something like the way I would have written it myself, right? Since the results, this usually would result in a costly and time-consuming process of re- redoing certain sections without uh, significantly improving them. So you mentioned they should be a native speaker too. Um, what, what are some of the hazards of, uh, of having that person be a non-native speaker? So, yes, of course, we've had, you know, I've had over the years all types of situations where uh, sometimes even a non-native speaker would be a reviewer just because the client would feel comfortable. Someone who studied Russian in high school, they, you know, they would review a document. There were all kinds of, uh, you know, situations in the past. And of course, that's not what we're looking for. You know, ideally, we're looking for someone who understands the translation uh, process and and understands that these have to be necessary changes as well that would actually improve the translation. So being a native speaker, of course, is the key requirement here, as well as being um, an expert in the subject matter and not just being a native speaker. 
and also have a great command of the language and understanding nuances of the language and not just speaking the language. Uh, understand, obviously, knowing and practicing good, good grammar uh, when you write and speak. Yeah, that's that's interesting because, uh, you know, just because you're a native speaker doesn't mean you have a, a good command of, of that language, actually. Like uh, on the, the area of being, quote, non-dogmatic, so how do you um, sort of educate your customers um, on that point? Like, are, are there, is there like a method you have to like warm them up uh, to the types of, of review and feedback that, that you require? Sure. We usually, if I feel that this will be someone who's new to this process, I would usually send recommendations uh, to, uh, to clients saying, this is what we usually recommend doing when selecting a reviewer of uh, translation material. Um, we, you know, we, of course, the main requirement we speak about isn't being a native speaker, being an expert in the subject matter, having excellent command of the languages, and again, understanding that this would have to be uh, necessary changes uh, for us. And what type of changes uh, can there be? Um, you know, could be mistranslations, could be uh, something related to accuracy it could be stylistic, right? So we talk about the differences between stylistic changes and non-stylistic changes. Um, and of course, one of the most important components here as well in terms of the education is how does the reviewer introduce those changes? And oftentimes, if we don't communicate on, uh, on, on this particular subject, then we uh, sometimes end up with some surprises. We may receive documents with some highlights, we may receive documents where formatting is now distorted. So um, that's where I, I prefer personally working uh, working in that stage, still in a legal format, sending an export, uh, knowing that the document will go through the review process. Um, sending an export of a bilingual file is, I feel, is the best because that allows us, obviously, to see the source, allows us to see the translation, as well as any track changes, any comments that uh, the reviewer may have. And it allows us to respond um, and comment on each particular instance, whether we accept the change or we recommend something different or we think the change simply was not uh, validated. So uh, that's what I think is most helpful in that process. Um, even if you can't, let's say, if you have a client who's unwilling to work in this format, at the very least, uh, they have to be able to attract changes and make comments. Um, you know, if we're dealing with a Word document, in a Word document, and uh, yes, indi indicating. Um, so yes, I guess that's you know that would be the preferable format uh, for for anyone to work in. Otherwise, you end up it becomes extremely time consuming, and the back and forth becomes pretty complicated. Yeah. So, um, you know, so, so for the listeners, um, you, you are a, a, a recent, uh, fairly recent addition to the, to the WordBee, uh, um, family. Uh, so you're, you're a customer of WordBee and that's interesting because like, I, I, I was a customer of WordBee too, before I, I started working with WordBee and I remember the bilingual, you know, word export, like we, it does that. And we, we used to use it from time to time. Um, but we never used it for for track changes. I, I never even occurred to me to to do that. Uh, but that's actually a super great idea because clients 
you know, they, that, that word is a format that's familiar to them. And I mean, I suppose you could ask them to log into WordBee and review it like uh, directly in the tool. But since Word is a familiar format that everyone is comfortable with and track changes is, is brilliant. Did that influence like when you were researching tools um, b- before you, you jumped on, on the WordBee train? Um, was that one of the key things you were looking for or? Sure. Yes. I think we've all have gotten used to working with bilingual exports um, because we also use, um, SDL, you know, when I was using SDL Studio, started using, mm-hmm. uh, it was still, you know, we probably remember the days of the being Trados and the workbench and all that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's been a while and it uh, went through uh, a process of so many changes, right, over time. But um, yes, I think we have gotten uh, used to to this bilingual exports because we work in, in studio and it's um, this is the option we have there as well. So I, I think um, to have it in the same environment as we do in Word B that allows us to all, you know, for the team to work together and even for our client or client reviewer to come in and uh, review it in that in that environment if possible. In my experience, again, like you said, clients are usually used to working with uh, simple things like, uh, you know, opening a Word document. Um, so for, for us, in terms of the educational process, it's just educating to please track your changes in a Word document. So we send the export, um, they track changes, they insert comments, and then we, again, can comment on those changes and accept or reject, uh, depending on what the change is. So Word B, I think here is extremely helpful in that process. Why is it important to have the bilingual format for us? Um, because it minimizes all these uh, manual steps that we would normally do. So uh, mm-hmm. once we finalize this bilingual version, uh, we and agree with everything um, on everything with the client, we go back, accept all the changes, and just upload the bilingual, updated bilingual file, and uh, you have the uh, most final version in your translation memory sitting right there. So there is nothing else you need to do. Yeah, so for the next document, uh, you know what uh, the client's preferences are because they are already reflected in the translation memory. Let's, let's jump on the workflow aspect of all of this. Okay, so we have the, the back translations and then we have the two forward translations with mm-hmm. the, the reconciliation as well, right? Right. So with the bilingual uh, step, for example, is that like a custom step that you formally add to your workflow? Uh, in WordB, or is it is it a step that you just know that you have to do? Usually, it, well, different clients have different requirements, right? So for some clients, mm-hmm. uh, we I would just we just do back translation. Um, that's their way of ensuring that they're getting uh, an accurate translation. For some clients, they prefer to do two forward translations and then an editor. Usually, it's done in an Excel file. I wonder if there's a way actually to do this in WordB. Maybe you can you can let me know. I think there should be a way. Yes, we should definitely look into it. I think there is. Yeah, I think you can display the two. You know, like when you're reconciling, for example, the two translations into English. That's how it works, right? Um, you you can display them both side by side in the cat tool. So English one, English two. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know this is possible, but I, I wouldn't be able to tell you how to do it. But I, I know that you can do it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, so we've this is the work uh, flow kind of we have seen uh, quite a bit. It's two forward translations, uh, reconciled translation. 
um, and then back translation. Mm -hmm. um, and in some cases, clients would require comments on each segment to see sort of what about your choices uh, of the translation, if there are any difficulties and how you address them. Because as we know, there is, you know, the, um, the understanding of equivalence versus literalism, right? So a, a good translator always understand the difference uh, between uh, an equivalent conceptual translation and a literal word-for-word -word translation. Uh, so when we're going back into English for back translation, um, often we, uh, we deal with this type of questions, right, uh, from our clients that, it, well, it, that the word is not exactly the same as it was in the source, um, in the source text. And that's where, again, we're educating and we're saying it, it, many times it won't be exactly the same because there are so many ways to translate one word. So back translation in that sense is um, uh, usually, usually recommended for persons without knowledge of the target language, right? So this is a way to sort of control quality for those clients uh, who do not have an in-country uh, review persons. So that's their method of verifying the accuracy of the target language version. And in my viewpoint, it's an imperfect and not very effective method. However, um, uh, however, you know, people use it because there is no other way they can verify, right? Uh, yeah, you mentioned the peace of mind earlier. Yeah. Uh, so oftentimes back translation, we see that it sounds awkward in English right because it, we intentionally wanted to be a little bit literal so we know what the issues may be with the translation it doesn't necessarily mean uh, that it reflects awkwardness in the target language in mm -hmm. um, certain words and expressions or feelings or moods or emotions are not identical to the original english uh, maybe near synonyms mm -hmm. So we, we deal with all those types of issues. And usually that's why I'm not a huge fan of back translation, because that requires a lot of back and forth and communication then with the client, mm -hmm. explaining each and every instance where uh, this occurred. How do you handle disagreements? So like when, when, the, when the client is absolutely sure that it has to be this way, but, but it's, you know, they might be wrong about it. Like how, how, what's the best strategy for handling disagreements when you're um, working with the, the reviewer? So um, there are several ways of doing it. Sometimes if there are several rounds of back and forth, uh, you may feel like it may be more efficient to just get on a conference call with everyone and <laughs> mm. decide what the best approach is. So, and we, we've certainly done it quite a few times in the past. And uh, I think one of the most uh, important components of the review process is also before you even start is compiling a master glossary uh, for, for that particular account where you agree beforehand on certain terminology so you don't have to go back to um, sort of arguing about, um, you know, the use of key terminology uh, for that uh, particular client. So I think that is sort of key to determine upfront. Right, right. Yeah. It, you know, I find it interesting, too, that, you know, the, the burden of quality, I think, is so high for this, these kinds of translations that it's really important to try to, you know, hash those things out. In, in other industries, I've seen it where, you know, the, the, the client prefers um, a more literal translation that, that maybe isn't the best. 
And, uh, and a lot of times I think in other industries, people are like, well, you know, I want to make the client happy and it's just going to be easier to, you know, make this literal translation that's going to please this, this person, but maybe isn't the best translation we could do. Um, but I, I guess that's not really an option in, in, in the life sciences because you really have to shoot for that highest possible quality. Yes. And also I always tell my clients that, you know, we act in your best. We always, we want to say that we very much appreciate the reviewers feedback Mm -hmm. and input. We value it very much because it helps us uh, to adhere our translation to the client's preferences and what may be internally used uh, in terms of terminology and and such. Mm -hmm. So we always appreciate that feedback and we're always happy to work with that. Um, but we also say that we act in the interest of our clients. So we want to make sure that in the end, they receive the best possible product, pos- uh, the best possible product. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where, you know, if we look uh, at a certain change that uh, not only uh, does not improve the translation, but in some cases it may, may, may make it worse. That's where it is our responsibility to communicate it back to the client and say, you know, this is what it is. This is the professional opinion of our linguists uh, or team of linguists mm-hmm. or linguists. And um, of course, we always uh, try to work it out amicably with the reviewer and be grateful for, for that review and come to um, an agreement. And so oftentimes it just uh, what makes reviewers feel better is that you actually listen. So if you don't, because I, I find it in the industry, sometimes, you know, uh, uh, translators do not look too positively at, at, at the changes and then they start defending their option of, of translation, right? So we, we see it too frequently. So here we have to understand again that we work, we all work as a team. So the reviewer is part of that team and uh, we have to work out uh, an option that works for everybody uh, involved. And oftentimes, if you just give another version or option to the reviewer, if it's not his version, but you um, sort of make them understand that you do listen, you understand they were not maybe very happy with this translation choice. Uh, Sometimes they can't express exactly what they want, but you give them another option, um, then they're happy with that. And so you're happy with that as well. Right, right. And the translation is probably better for it too. Yes. Cool. So then, uh, like in, in terms of, of workflows, like, uh, at, at least in my experience, it sounds to me like some of the, the workflows in the life sciences are the craziest possible workflows, um, in terms of their, their complexity. Uh, so how, how does, if I may ask, how does WordBee help you with creating like these, uh, you know, forward translation reconciliation flows and back translation flows, like. Uh, how is your experience doing that with with WordBee so far? So, so far, I haven't had a lot of experience doing that in WordBee, um, but I did look up some information and I saw that certain things were possible to automate. So we'll, look, we'll always look for, um, you know, things that can be automated throughout this process. Um, so I think I need to look into it a little bit further to understand how we can use it more effectively because we just uh, I just recently started using WordBee um, and I've been very happy with it I must say I'm a big fan. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it it is uh it is kind of a power tool though. So like uh, I, I'm sure you'll be discovering new features and things that you can do for for years to come. 
Um, I work in marketing, of course, uh, but even I'm discovering uh, new things that 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 we should be uh, talking about with WordBe um, all the time. Uh, okay, so and then in terms of like, I, I think earlier we we mentioned um, that it sometimes clients request a uh, comment on on each segment uh, where changes were made to to explain you know what happened. Um, and version history, I'm sure of, of segments. So w- w- what does like your total report look like, um, in terms of reporting to the client, like, and having it all in one place, what, what work was done? Well, we usually look at, um, attract changes and comments. So in comments, usually, uh, a linguist would comment on the change to say, you know, what the nature of the changes and whether they accept it or reject it or what further recommendations may be in response to the reviewer, because the reviewer also may make comments as well. Um, so it's just efficient in that format as long as there are not too many rounds. So when you have, uh, when you have more than two rounds of these reviews, then you may want to use something else. You may want to use an Excel spreadsheet or like I said, get on a conference call and make a record of all those changes that need to be made in, uh, into a finalized copy. So, yes, sometimes it could be quite a lengthy process. And it's, um, in you know, that's where you have to step in and decide what is the most efficient approach here. Do we go back and forth five, six times? Or do we just get on the call and decide? Sometimes uh, it, we can already foresee um with certain clients that's where it would go in terms of discussing the changes so um a conference call is simply scheduled to uh resolve any of those um issues or questions and then a finalized copy is produced excellent and then okay so earlier we mentioned i think we we mentioned iso certification yes and uh, when you said that were you referring to for example um capital translation being iso certified no, we're not. Or, we try to um, always try to adhere to uh, uh, the standards right. that are you know required for ISO certification. Honestly, it's a lengthy and costly process. So if you, as a translation company, decide to go through this process, uh, you need to have certain resources and 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 time to go through the right. process. But right. Uh, right. you know, most of us are familiar with uh, the standards that uh, are applied in our industry so we try um i try our best to comply with those interesting very cool all right well you know i i'm really glad that we we covered all, all these topics i feel like we've we've covered them pretty well too um are there any questions that that you think i should be asking is there anything we missed any nuggets of wisdom tips best practices anecdotes so uh, I don't know about any. Yes, I you know that with client reviews, there are definitely always uh, some comical <laughs> situations that one has experienced. Right? I just recently received a, a document from a review with a number of highlights with different colors, and uh, where then the whole formatting was shifted. So we had to go back and say, well, this is what happened, and uh, sort of fix everything up. But if we go back to um, the review process, I also wanted to mention that sometimes um, reviews happen not only from the same team or the same person um, in the company, right? Sometimes you work with uh, with different teams. It could be also legal. It could be marketing. So um, 
sometimes you deal with changes not only to the target translations that you provide, but also to the changes to the source. Uh, and I know that is always a cause of frustration for for all the team members involved, because here you already completed your translation, and now you have an updated version from the legal or another team, and now all these changes are introduced and they have to be reflected in the translated version. So this is also one of the um, sort of components uh, that is possible for a translation um, production um, for a workflow. Yeah, that's interesting too, because I think that at least in WordBee, it's um, it is helpful uh, to be able to update the document in the in the online platform um, because then it, if I'm not mistaken, you can update the document. Uh, and then it will update the the translations too, and then the the translators can jump back in and and make the the missing translations or or translate the the things that that changed in the interim. Right. So, and I also want to mention in terms of the review process um, and just working when you work with a new client as well, and your reference material, um, of course, should be taken under consideration uh, when translating, editing, and proofreading. So we talked about creating a ma uh, master glossary and because the, our ultimate goal is to ensure full consistency in the translation across all documents. And uh, also sometimes we create what we refer to as a style guide that particularly reflects all the client's preferences in terms of treatment of uh, various things. Um, it will also include uh, will also include specific recommendations for language, uh, for capitalization, for treatment of uh, measurements and, and all types of, thing, of things. And here again, you can say a lot about the preferences after you go through a client review process and agree on certain things. You can definitely update those style glossaries to stay uh, to state particular um, clients' requirements. Uh, again, capitalization, translate what's translatable, what's non-translatable for different clients. It may may it may mean different things. Treatment of numbers, conversions, and names. Um, uh, so this, I think, is also key. Uh, just to have sort of this process uh, streamlined. And this, these, these materials, um, like the style guide, I, I guess that you follow, you know, like the client is, is reviewing those too. So you're, you're agreeing about how you're going to do things uh, before you do them. So, so that way, when you do do them, it, it's, it's smoother, right? Yes. So that also allows for all, so uh, this should be done at the beginning of, <clears throat> of the project, right? So, approve the glossary, get also the style guidelines approved um, by the client. And this allows all the participants to be on the same page, same for the reviewer. When they review a document, we no longer have to, you know, comment on the same changes over and over again, because we have a style guide uh, to refer to. We have our master glossary to refer to. So there are a lot of these issues already eliminated from the start, um, and we can focus on, on, on something else. Okay, so here's a, here's a question that that I'm thinking of too. Like, uh, what what are the deadlines like um, on these kinds of projects? Are they are they tight, or do you usually feel like like you have uh, the time that that you need to to do the projects? I think it varies greatly uh, by client, but I think for those workflows that require two forward translations and uh, reconciliation and back translation as well, 
usually the deadlines are pretty generous in the sense that people are aware that they need a lot of time for this process to happen or any discussions um, to happen as well as um, we need time to produce a finalized copy. So I think for, for those workflows, it's typically, uh, typically people keep in mind that uh, they need time for, for all those steps to be completed. Right, right, right. And I suppose that helps to make sure you have the, the, the right linguists working on the project and, and, and everyone can, can schedule ahead of time that they're, that they're going to be working on it. Right. And usually I must say with, uh, with this type of projects, you try, you know, I know we all can rely on translation memory and that's why we have it, right? But um, for this type of projects, we always try to keep the same linguist on the team. Because uh, besides the fact that you you have the translation memory, you have um, human beings who are also capable of remembering the history of this project and what's been happening in terms of reviews as well um, and communication. And while you still keep record of everything, um, the human aspect is also there and people you know get used to terminology, get used to uh, working um, with, with a particular client requirements and so i think it's helpful to keep uh sort of more or less the same team on um on the particular account yeah i attended a workshop recently and uh and and we talked a lot about that at the workshop some some people at the workshop were from some some pretty large companies um in the united states and i was surprised uh to to hear that that was one of their top issues you know so they're that you know they're a localization manager at a really big company, um, but what was important to them was that the same linguists were um, working on their projects, and it, it was interesting because I think we talked a little bit about how uh, you know the the best providers are sometimes like kind of like community managers too, like managing this this small community of translators that are really dedicated to working for for that one client. Yes, true. And, you know, in, in my case, I have, um, I have linguist editors and colleagues I've been working with for the last 20 years. And we, we know each other so well. And uh, in, in terms of the style and preferences, too. So when you know the work of linguists you've been working with for many years and know their style, you already know what to look at, sort of what to look for. And um, uh, you have a certain understanding as well. So I think it's yes. I think it's uh, it's it's really important, and uh, we know sometimes it's all deadline driven, and sometimes it's not possible to use the same person, or they're not available, or then you need to split files among several translators, which normally nobody likes to do, right? Because you know, at least you need to have an editor to achieve some level of consistency uh, when you do that. Um, but yes, I think if the deadlines allow especially in the clinical trial setting and um, life sciences, it's, I think it's, it's really important to have the same committed team, you know, work, working on this and uh, feel like you really, you're part, um, you know, the, the client, the reviewer, all the linguists involved, they, they are a part of one team. Um, so it's, it's a nice feeling to have develop those relationships and uh, have them, you know, continue for, for many years. And when you um, update things like a glossary or you update a style guide, do you do you then also update 
you know, the linguists that you usually work with, so they're like aware of those changes or yes. um, h- how does that work? Usually once in a while, um, it depends on, you know, how many projects you have for that particular client, how many change, rounds of changes you've gone through. Um, usually, you know, with some type of, uh, it occurs on a regular basis where you send out an updated version, you made updates, so you send it out to all participants of um of your team um so they're aware of all the changes um so that's a normal practice i think i think especially with uh with glossaries because we continue updating them on a regular basis right right all right well um so for for the listeners out there that are um keen on improving their life sciences operations or um, are interested in 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 getting started with that i think this is going to be a great episode for them um, I know, I know I've learned a lot. Once again, are there any, any final questions that I should be asking here or I think we've covered almost everything? I think we've covered it pretty well. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, the, the, I think that this kind of episode is the, is we're often shooting for this level of detail, um, in our podcast and, and sometimes we get there and sometimes we don't, and we, we do different kinds of episodes, but, uh, but I thought that this was an excellent, excellent episode. So Lana, thanks for uh, joining us on the International Buzz. Well, thank you so much for having me. You bet. Stay safe and stay well. Oh yeah, you too. <laughs> thank you. We're on uh, coming out of lockdown here for who knows for how long, but uh, uh, the restrictions have loosened up and uh, I, for better or worse, people are outside taking the sun. So <laughs> yeah, it's good to hear. Yes, yes. All right, thanks. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the International Bus Podcast brought to you by WordBee. To learn more about our translation management system, check out our website at wordbee.com and be sure to subscribe to the podcast for release notifications. Until next time. <laughs>